0: Hello, and welcome to Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We are going to hear stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. It is your host, Catherine here. So I am enjoying my summer break. I'm doing lots of pool days, been going to the beach, been trying to stay hydrated, just trying to make more time for myself and my family and relax. So with that being said, I thought it would be fun to revisit some of the past episodes that have been most listened to on the Social Workers Rise podcast. And we're starting this off with an episode on school social work that I first recorded with Jocelyn Saylor in 2021. Yes. So people continue to listen to this episode. It it first aired in, as episode 64. Four, and we're now on 130. So you all are like scrolling way back to listen to this episode. So I wanted to do it justice and bring it up to the forefront, right and center and, uh, and revisit Jocelyn because she is still doing her thing. So I re-listened to the audio and everything is still completely relevant. She's still amazing, still doing school social work and she still has the school social work solutions planner which perfect timing and i swear i did not do this on purpose but she is taking pre-orders for the school Solutions social work planner on opening friday the 14th and it's going to be shipped on i'm just looking at my calendar here at the end of july so if you are interested at all definitely check the link in the show notes and check out her planner it's amazing it's high quality you will not be sorry it is worth the investment so with that said i oh also too in case you don't know who i am (laughs) i am Catherine moore i am your host of the social workers rise podcast i am a lcsw based in california i also do teletherapy, I do professional trainings, and my passion is really educating social workers and new professionals and college students in general on mental wellness, what it means to be burnt out, how do we prevent this, and how do we use the skills that we already have to be resilient and to overcome these hard and challenging situations that we face in our careers and in our family life, because life gets hard and we definitely need to have the tools ready to to help ourselves to help our colleagues to help our families so that's what i'm passionate about if you are wanting a professional training at your organization at your university definitely reach out to me let's get something on the books right now so with that said we're gonna hop into this episode with jocelyn I will also mention, if you are looking for a clinical supervisor, definitely, definitely check out the RISE directory at risedirectory.com for a national directory on clinical supervisors. There's also free resources there that you can use within your clinical supervision, as well as if you need a supervisor for school, social work, hospital, medical, whatever it might be, you can definitely find one there. So with that being said, let's hop into this throwback episode. Hello, welcome to the Social Workers Rise podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today talking about school social work. So thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you.
0: Me too. School social work is a hot topic. People love to hear about it and they love to get into it. So I'm excited to to hear your experience. Can you first give us a brief overview of your career background? Like how did you get to here to where you're a school social worker?
1: Sure. So I got my bachelor's degree from the University of Massachusetts Amherst. And right after that, I went to work in my former high school, working for a nonprofit organization called Gear Up. And through the program, we helped seniors. um, We brought them on college trips. We helped them fill out the FAFSA, um, helped them throughout the whole college application process. And while I was working there, I thought, I really like working with kids. Maybe I want to be a guidance counselor. And then I was like, hmm, I don't know. Maybe I want to look into something else. And I looked into social work. And with social work, that master's degree is really flexible, as I'm sure you know. Um, you can work in different sectors. You, know, you can work in probation, medical social work, school social work, private practice. You know, The options are pretty much endless with an MSW. And school social work was a goal of mine to work in a school um, giving back to the students. So I then went on to get my master's at Springfield College And during that time, I started working full-time as a Department of Children and Family Social Worker, Child Protective Services. So I did that simultaneously while getting my MSW. I got a lot of experience there. Um, And then about four and a half years after that, I started into medical social work. And I didn't love that as much. It was like a geriatric population. And I just, I miss working with the kids. So that Mm -hmm. was only about a year I worked in medical social work, and then I applied to be a school social worker. And here I am nine years later.
0: That's awesome. Did you
1: have to have any kind of special certificate to do that? So in my state, you have to have, it's called a 071 certification. It's a school social work certification. So we had to take a part of the teacher's test, which in Connecticut is called the Praxis. So I had to take the math and English and pass that in order to get my certification, which really doesn't make sense because we're not teaching the kids math or English, but whatever. (laughs) Those were the requirements (laughs) Um, to sit for the test. So I did that. Um, I passed that test. I got my um, certification and I also have my LCSW, but it's not required in my state, but I know in others it is like in Texas.
0: Right. Yeah. And here in California, you need to have the PPS credential, which Mm -hmm. don't ask me about that. I have no idea, but I just know you have to have it. Um, So it's interesting that each state is going to be a little bit different. Yes. Yeah. So we I did a poll on my Instagram stories about what do you want to ask a school social worker and Jocelyn you got so many responses we had (laughs) I don't know like 20 questions come through we're not going to be able to answer them all today Um, but Miguel and Evelyn they want to know what is a typical
1: day like as a school social worker. So the days really vary, but I do have a schedule. So when I go in to the school, I usually come in, I'll have my coffee or my tea, sit down and check my emails, and then I'll look at my schedule for the day. So I have a weekly schedule of when I want to see individual students run groups, but sometimes that schedule gets thrown out the window if there's a crisis or, you know, different situations happen with students and you have to kind of. Um, attain to attend to the emergency at the moment. So for example, today, I had one idea of what my day was going to look like. And it was something totally different because I had to do a Title IX investigation, which is uh, an investigation around sexual harassment or sexual misconduct. Mm -hmm. So me and the social work team had to do that because that took priority. It had, you know, there was a video involved and students and there's all these different parts. So we had to focus on that today versus me seeing my individual students or running any groups. So it really does vary. But for the most part, I try to stick to my schedule, even when there are different crises that happen.
0: Okay. So you're meeting privately with students and you're also running groups. What kind of groups are those? Like, what do you talk about?
1: Um, So mainly girls groups. So I have one that is with 10th graders and one that is with seniors. And we talk about different things around self-care, around identity, self-esteem, healthy relationships, uh, analyzing music, making vision boards, talking about goals. So it really just varies, and I kind of go with where the girls are. Um, If there's different situations happening with their intimate relationships, you know, their boyfriends or their girlfriends, then we'll talk about that, what healthy relationships look like versus toxic relationships and how to communicate healthy with your partner. Um, So those are some of my favorite groups to run with teen girls. Um, And that's all I have really going on right now. Um, I've done different groups in the past for grief and loss, for children who've lost a parent, or maybe they're incarcerated, Um, the zones of regulation, that curriculum, um, which teaches children how to regulate their emotions, um, elementary school age, and children on the autism spectrum. But really, the curriculum is good for all children. Um, I've run that as well. But right now, it's just the girls group. Wow, that's a lot. (laughs) <laughs> that's yeah, a mean, lot that you gotta be, that you, yeah, that you have yeah, to know it about. <laughs> it is a lot. Yeah,
0: that's, yeah, that's awesome. It sounds very needed and God bless you because I could not, I just, it's not my calling to work with, with children. I love them, but yeah, not for me.
1: <laughs> well, the groups that I just named, I never ran all of those simultaneously. It was like one right. different point in time. Cause that would be a lot of work doing all those at once.
0: Oh, yeah, you'd be a full-time group facilitator. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, So Jess is wondering, what is the
1: most challenging part of school social work? I would say the high caseload is the most challenging part. And when I say high caseload, it's not even necessarily that the numbers are high. So right now, my caseload is about, well, it's 35 students. But these 35 students each have complex trauma. Um, They're dealing with different situations. They have different needs. So it takes a long time to really do a good job therapeutically with them, connecting them to services, making sure um, that the parents' needs are met so they can support their children. Um, It's a lot. So that's the most challenging part. I could spend like an hour and a half on one student to do a really, really good job, but there's not enough time in the day to spend that much time with each student individually.
0: Mm, How much time do you typically get with each student and how
1: often are you seeing them? So typically it's about, you know, 30 minutes, 30 to 40 minutes. And um, with groups, it's much better because Maybe you'll hold the group for 45 minutes, but you'll have like eight, maybe 10 students in there. So you're um, meeting more needs at one time.
0: Okay. So that makes sense. And then do you see them on a regular basis and mm -hmm. like on a weekly basis or monthly? How
1: does that work? Yes. Most students are on a weekly basis. um, But you know, if they're absent, then obviously we're not going to meet. But overall, it's usually a weekly basis, sometimes biweekly. But Mm -hmm. we really try to meet with all those students every week.
0: Okay, that's great. Is that for the whole school year
1: or just as long as they need you? How do you decide how long or how many weeks? So it all depends on the classification of the student. So some students have a special education plan where in their IEP, it will say they need to meet with the social worker for counseling 30 to 60 minutes a week. And that's going to be for the duration of the IEP, which is one year. And then every year you meet with the team of individuals who work with the student to determine should you continue the services or stop them or pull back or increase. Um, If a student has a 504 plan, it might have counseling written into that, which is a medical accommodation plan for students who have any kind of medical diagnosis that may prohibit them from accessing their education at 100%. So that could be ADHD, it could be sickle cell anemia, it could be scoliosis, and there's going to be different accommodations in that plan that are going to support the student to be more successful. And it also tells you how often you need to work with the student in the plan. So that's how those students, um, their time is determined. It's by whatever plan they have. But then you have regular education students who don't have a legal plan, but they have needs. So you're still going to work with them as often as you possibly can. But the priority is going to be your special education and your 504 students because they have legal plans that state you have to do this work with them.
0: Ah, I see. I see. Okay, awesome. Um, What would you consider to be the most rewarding or best part about your job?
1: I would say seeing the growth of the students throughout the years. Um, I've been lucky to be at the same school for, you know, at least three years at a time. And you're able to see students, you know, grow throughout the years, socially, emotionally, academically, um, making connections with their families. And I would say my favorite part is those moments when you'll get like a thank you note or a letter from a student, and they're showing their gratitude and their appreciation for your support. I have a box where I keep those. So I have letters and notes and pictures and cards from students families and coworkers from when I first started nine years ago and sometimes I'll look back at that and it reminds me you know this is why I do this work
0: oh I love that it's like a feel-good box yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that so Yvette was wondering how do you show up authentically in your work Hey, it's Catherine here. I hope you are enjoying this episode. We're going to take a quick break to listen to these ads from our sponsors. If you're planning to take the BBS law and ethics exam, the ASWB master's or clinical licensure exam, or if you're studying for the MFT exam, then you need a proven program that can help you understand the exam questions and pass with confidence If this is you, I highly recommend the Therapist Development Center. I personally use TDC to pass my law and ethics and clinical exams and found the program provided me with everything I needed to pass with confidence. TDC's program integrates various ways of learning in an organized fashion, containing all of the information you need to pass without the overwhelm. And now bonus, TDC is also offering a library of continuing education courses that fulfill your license renewal requirements and will support you in your career development. If this sounds like something that you need, visit their website, therapistdevelopmentcenter.com and use the code SWRISE10 at checkout to receive 10% off any of their CE courses including their brand new course on the edge of life and introduction to suicidality. You can also check out the link in the show notes.
1: So um, authenticity really means you have to know who you are. Um, you have to know what your values are, who your identity is. Um, and if you are really in tune with who you are, I think it's really easy to show up authentically. So I'm just going to use myself as an example. So I am, um, I'm a Black woman. I like to help others. Family is important to me. So in my office, I have different paintings that I've done from paint nights. And some of them are very Afrocentric. I have pictures of my family members in my office. I have plants. I have different things that represent me. So, that when students and coworkers come in my office, they get a feel for who I am. And it's also a way to be vulnerable as well. So, that's one example of how I show up authentically. Um, yeah, that's one example.
0: Yeah, oh, I love that. And it just helps to just build that rapport so much faster with other people because they're able, you're able to do a little bit of self-disclosure of what you're comfortable with and it opens up the door for them to, you know, ask questions or say, oh, I really like that. You know, where'd you get it type thing. So that's awesome. Yeah. And, Another thing that I was worrying or not worrying, wondering about your workflow is are you at one school or are you go- visiting different schools throughout the week?
1: I'm at one school. I've always, any job placement I've had in school social work, I've only been in one school. I know there are people who split schools or have multiple schools, but I feel like I'm lucky in the sense that I haven't had to go to different schools because I think that'd be really challenging.
0: Yeah, one of my, I know one of the social workers here in L.A., she covers five, four or five different schools. So each wow. day, yeah, each day she's going to a different school. It just sounds uh, really stressful.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: A lot of driving around.
1: Yeah, yeah. too. A lot of driving.
0: So it is good to know, you know, in case someone is... Looking for a school social work job, or you know, looking to interview that to ask that question. <laughs> yes.
1: Yep. Multiple schools or one school.
0: Definitely. Um, what other tips? So, Sarah, Hoops, and Evelyn Alvarez were wondering, what other tips do you have for someone wanting to get into school social work or looking to make that transition, maybe from one part of of social work, one industry, into school
1: social work okay um i would say to one research the type of school you want to work in Uh, what type of population do you want to work in do you want to work in a suburban population um, an inner city population um even you know do you want to work with children that reflect your ethnicity um you want to first figure that out where then uh, when you ap- apply to schools or maybe you're offered a job, I would say the first thing you want to brush up on is your crisis intervention skills because crises happen all the time. But in addition to that, you want to know all of the kind of legal policies and procedures. And when I say legal, I'm talking about your special education, your 504 plans, the bullying laws, the harassment laws, because especially in the high schools, Um, You're doing a lot of investigations around bullying, around sexting, um, relationships, alleged relationships with people that one might be 18 and then one is 14, so that's statutory rape laws. So you have to really know all of those policies because you're going to be applying them in your work. and You never want to get caught up where you didn't do something legally as the school social worker and then you're in court and your license is on the line. And, you know, your, your job is at risk. So I would say that would be one of the main things you want to start with. Um, you want to have great de-escalation skills because you're going to be dealing with children and adolescents who have heightened emotions. They may be yelling, screaming, tearing up classrooms, and you're going to have to know how to de-escalate them and isolate them from the other children so they're not at risk as well. Um, what else? Advocacy skills, you want to make sure you have great advocacy skills and you know how to use your voice for the voiceless. So I know in my experience, I'm working in the inner city. So there are a lot of parents who've had negative experiences with the educational system. And when we're in meetings, they're really on the defense. They may not be understanding 100% what's going on in the meeting, but they don't want to ask questions because they're embarrassed. And you have to be able to ask those questions so that the parents that you're working with understand exactly what's going on with the school and their child. So that's what I mean when I say advocacy. And those would be, um, you know, some tips to start off if you're thinking about getting into school social work.
0: Awesome. Definitely super helpful to know all of those skills. Um, and thank you for sharing that, that provides a lot of really great insight and helps people to kind of understand, you know, where to even start. Mm
1: -hmm. No problem.
0: Would you, what do you think about, you know, Karen from Instagram was wondering, can a macro social worker become a school social worker or is it, you know, more clinical?
1: So I would say that there are clinical aspects to school social work when you think about like evidence-based and research-based interventions that you're going to use with your student population. But I do think a macro social work student or a macro social worker could be a school social worker, um, especially because I personally think you want to have the micro experience before you can make a change on a macro level. So if you're a macro social worker that's what you know your goal is maybe you want to start off as a school social worker for a few years so you can understand the needs and the deficits in the system overall and then maybe eventually you go into like educational policy and you advocate for different changes so I think in that aspect yes you could go into school social work as a macro social worker
0: yeah, that makes sense to to kind of start as a clinical social worker first, because then, you you can kind of see, you know, what would what would be the typical responses to a situation. You know, how would the parents respond to this? Mm-hmm. Then you can plan on a policy level. Okay, parents are going to be really upset about this. How can we how can we make it to where they're they understand or they're less upset or we can communicate better Mm -hmm. so there's no confusion. And that's how you're going to take the clinical skills and turn them into something that's macro. Mm
1: -hmm. Exactly.
0: And also too, I've learned that the clinical skills have been really helpful on a macro level because systems are just made up of people. And you have to right. know, yeah, you have to know how to relate to people, how to talk to people. And once you can do that and form those relationships with key people or strategic people, that's when the magic really happens.
1: Yes, I agree with that 100%. The Thank other you.
0: question that I wanted to ask that I'm really excited to hear your response to is you came up with the school social work solutions planner. Tell me yes. about this.
1: What inspired it? How is it different? Tell me. So the School of Social Work Solutions Planner is my second baby. So I I already have a daughter. So that's why I call it my second baby. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so I would say I think the pandemic really sparked more creativity in me because I was, you know, sitting home more often, (laughs) not doing as much. And um, I've always been a person that used a planner. But as I was utilizing the planner during the pandemic, I was thinking, wow, I wish this had a place for a daily log or phone call logs or um, kind of like an address book area so I could have parent contacts or um, different therapists or workers who are working with my students. Um, I wish it had a place where I could look for resources, um, references, just different things. So I was like, hmm, a school social worker planner. So then I Googled it. I'm like, oh, there's nothing out there like this. Maybe I can create a school social worker planner. So, you know, kind of from there, I just did a lot of research and took some time and invested in myself and figured out how to create a planner and put all these different resources together. And kind of here we are.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. So full disclosure, I have, I love planners also, and I have, Been dreaming about creating a planner and I started it, but oh my gosh, Jocelyn, it was so much. Yeah, it's a lot. So much work. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of work. (laughs) 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 So everything from the formatting to getting the resources together to the colors and how big it is and the binding and the paper. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't. It's so detailed. So let me tell you, every single dollar <laughs> that people spend on that social work planner is worth it because yes. there was a lot of hard work and a lot of love. I
1: can tell put into that planner. Absolutely, and you know the other thing about it was even though, although I was using my creativity. I'm also able to help others because when I first started off as a school social worker, I feel like I was doing all this research, creating all these different templates, looking at all these different books, trying to really figure it all out. And I wanted to put resources together that would help someone who is just getting into the school social work field um, can reference different things, um, you know, just kind of a one-stop shop in one planner. And it also has a self-care aspect. So the other thing is, my first year being a school social worker, I really felt burnt out by the end of the year. And it was because I had a lack of boundaries. I wasn't prioritizing my health. I was saying yes to everything. Um, I had no systems in place. So I want to prohibit that from happening to another school social worker. So they need to make sure they have this planner because it will help them.
0: Yes, yes, I've thought about that too. Is adding a self-care thing to the planners because just like you know, yeah. you hear about it, you like, yeah, yeah, or whatever. But you really do have to think about it on a daily basis and make it a yes. priority on a daily basis. You do um, because you know, social workers were so, we're in the habit and the routine of giving and giving and giving until. We're like, oh shoot! Why do I feel so depleted and burnt out?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That's awesome. I love it. I love it.
1: Um, where Thank can you.
0: people find and buy the School Social Work Solutions Planner, and where can they connect with you?
1: So they can buy the School Social Work Solutions Planner on www.schoolswsolutions.com. And you can find me on Instagram at School Social Work solutions. Love
0: it. And the links will be in the bio. So definitely check that out. Send this to all the school social workers you know because they need to know about this. So thank you so much, Jocelyn. I really, really appreciate your time.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you love this episode, be sure to subscribe and text this episode to a friend. If you want more, there are a few ways we can get to know each other and work together. First, definitely subscribe to the Friday resource email list. The link is in the show notes. And that's where you can learn more about the courses I offer, including Clinical Essentials, The future therapist and the Pulse basics for medical social workers. I'll also be sending out occasional tips and resources and other happenings within the social work industry. And for all your clinical supervision needs, be sure to visit risedirectory.com. This is a national directory of clinical supervisors for social workers. And we also provide free resources that you can use within your own clinical supervision. Lastly, if you have more individualized needs, I do offer coaching, individual consultations, and am available for public speaking engagements for social workers and change makers. Lastly, the boring legal stuff, but very important the information in this podcast is not meant to be a supplement for therapy, professional advice, or clinical supervision. This content is provided as is solely for informational purposes. It is not legal, health, or safety advice. I am not advising you as a therapist. Organizations should engage their own experts to ensure any adoptive measures are compliant with applicable laws and standards in their jurisdictions. The opinions expressed by individuals or organizations are their own and do not reflect the views or opinions of Social Workers' Rise or Catherine Moore. References to specific products or organizations do not constitute any endorsement or recommendations by Social Workers' Rise.